as the sun sets on the regular season. The postseason is here. Swinging fly to left. This should do it. Gallich is there. It's over. And the Brewers are Central Division champions. This is Brew October Nightly, presented by NX Wealth Management and sponsored by Boucher Automotive, Town Bank, a Wintrust Community Bank. And Delta Dental, Wisconsin's number one dental plan. And now, here's your host for the most on the Brewers postseason, Matt Foley. We only have to live through two more days of not having Brewers baseball before the postseason run will officially begin on Friday after a little bit of a lull yesterday. Things are starting to ramp up. Of course, the postseason officially begins tonight with the American League wildcard game. Brewers players at American Family Field today going through a workout. David Stearns just got done meeting with the media a little while ago. And we have you until 7 o'clock. My name is Matt Pauley, Brian D. at American Family Field. We are going to be coming your way every weekday night from 6 o'clock to 7 o'clock through the duration of the Brewers playoff run. You can find us Last night, for example, we were on WTMJ and The Truth. Today, we're on 94.5 ESPN and The Truth. So uh, we're one of the three stations, at least one of the three stations, on an every night basis. If you want to join the program, you can do so by calling or texting 800-990-3776, 800-990-ESPN. Or you can tweet at me if you'd like, at Matt Pauley on air, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air. I'm sure you can uh, tweet at Brian D as well. Follow him on Twitter at Brian JD. He spells Brian with the uh, with the Y B R Y A N J D. Right way to spell it, Matt Pauly. I what what percentage do you think uh, spell it your way? Uh, very few. So the story behind this, because everybody cares so dearly about the origin of my name. Uh, my parents, my I think my dad wanted Ryan and my mom wanted Brian with an I, so they 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 compromised, which is a great sign of any successful marriage, and settled on Brian with a Y. So I do think. Uh, you know, I, it's a low percentage, a low batting average of Bryans that actually have a Y in the middle. Little did they know you were going to get into radio where the spelling of the name actually did not matter. Correct. Yes. Yes, exactly right. Nobody cares about the spelling of my name. They just care about what the Milwaukee Brewers are doing at American Family Field as we speak. Uh, you So... Uh, David Stearns met with the media just a little while ago, and I guess the big news of the moment is starting pitchers were announced for the first two games. Uh, in game number one, it's going to be Corbin Burns. In game number two, it's going to be Brandon Woodruff. Brian, I don't know about you. I'm actually, I think, Bur- I mean, we can all agree, Burns had the better season. I really thought they were just kind of going to stick with the way they had done it most of the year, where they would go with Woodruff in the first game. There was no wrong answer. I'm actually glad they're going with Burns. That's what I would have done myself, but I'm actually a little bit surprised by it. Yeah, I, you know, I, I think given the way that Corbin Burns pitched all season long, Matt, Brewers fans will be excited to hear that he's going to get the ball for game one, and I think it's the right move, right? Like, he he is the ace, and it's a great problem to have as the Brewers organization that you've got more than one ace. You can make an argument they've had three all season long with Burns, Woodruff, uh, and Freddie Peralta, you know, even prior to his late season injury issues. So um, I think Brewers fans are psyched that Corbin Burns is going to get the ball, especially in game one, because the Braves are throwing a pitcher, Matt, that is super experienced. I believe it's Charlie Morton that's going to get the start for them in game one. He's pitched in big-time games for big-time organizations in the playoffs, 
And the other thing that you know was really interesting that both Craig Council talked about when he joined my show, Wisconsin's Morning News, on WTMJ earlier this morning, um, and then uh, David Stearns talked about it just a couple of minutes ago as well here at American Family Field. Um, they both spoke about how the Braves are just a power offense and how they are both certain that there are going to be home runs from the Atlanta side in this series, from Freddie Freeman and so many others. So starting pitching is going to be incredibly important for the Brewers. And then, obviously, if the Braves get good pitching performances, the Brewers are going to have to score a lot of runs. So uh, I think it's a good move that you're starting things off with a bang with, in my opinion, the man who should be the NL Cy Young winner in Corbin Burns. What else stood out to you today about what Stearns had to say? Uh, the, the excitement uh, of being back here in a normal setting. And I know that sounds basic, but David Stearns was very excited and looking forward to having this place packed at 3.37 on Friday afternoon for a playoff game because we haven't experienced that in a, a couple of years here. Obviously, last year was a wash. 2019, the Brewers lose in the wild card game uh, to the Washington Nationals on Trent Grisham's error. Sorry to bring that up. That's a bad memory. Um, so it's really been since game... Game 7 of the 2018 NLCS since we've had this place packed to the brims for a playoff game. So Stearns and everybody in the organization is just psyched to get this place full of of raucous Brewers fans on a Friday afternoon. That's going to be amazing. But even further than that, Matt, today was the first day in two years that the media was able to meet face-to-face with David Stearns in the media auditorium. Like, mm-hmm. we haven't even gotten that far. That Like, nobody had been in the Brewers media auditorium since uh, the 20, uh, I guess, 19 season would have ended after the wild card game when they kind of do the postseason, post-mortem, uh, and figure out what the offseason is going to look like. So I think in addition to breaking down the Braves, in addition to looking ahead to what this NLDS is going to be like, I think there was yet another step in return to normalcy and that's a huge deal Matt because uh, to say the playoffs and postseason baseball in Milwaukee are normal is is not a thing that's been the case for the Milwaukee Brewers organization for basically the entire life of the organization until the last four years yeah yeah it's interesting you mentioned the the media room because I'm at American Family Field sometimes on on days that uh, the Brewers are playing road games and I'm doing my the post game show from the ballpark and on those days when I come in I walk in the downstairs way not the upstairs way that we do uh, during the when there's actually games that can be played so kind of the way that used to be before the pandemic and I walk by that media room and I always I've, I always sit there and I kind of look at it, I go when are we gonna get back in there when are things going to return to some level of normalcy where we're actually going to be able to sit in that room and look people in the eye. And for that to be able to happen today, it may seem like a really small thing, but I also... One of the bigger things that I'm missing in baseball is I think baseball media and baseball writers are some of the best journalists that are out there because just the the day-to-day nature of a 162-game schedule, it can't always be about X's and O's. It can't always be about breaking down games. And with that long of a season and with being able to talk to guys on a daily basis, we're able to tell more stories and we're able to learn more about guys. And quite honestly, that went away a little bit with all the Zoom calls. And there's been a little bit more here recently 
Obviously, some pregame stuff on the field and things like that. Uh, but the idea of being able to tell the stories of the game of baseball, which is largely left to uh, the writers and the journalists, that had very much been lost during much of the pandemic. So I think you know, somebody listening to us go, okay, big deal. You're sitting in a room together. Who cares? But it's more than that. And I think part of the, the romance of baseball is being able to tell those stories. No doubt about it, Matt. It's funny. I had the same feeling as you walking into the media auditorium, and I'm not here nearly as often as you are, obviously, for Brewers Extra Innings on the Brewers Radio Network and WTMJ. But I've been here enough that... You know, I, there, there's a seat that I normally sit in in the media auditorium, and I went down there and sat down for David Stern's availability, and I was kind of nervous because I was like, am I taking somebody's seat? And then I remembered, of course not. Nobody's been in here for two years. I couldn't be taking anyone's regular seat. It's almost like the first day of school again, but sitting here watching the Brewers work out at American Family Field. They're mulling around the field here. The grass is painted and there are journalists and media people on the field. I have a field access badge hanging around my neck. That is a huge step in return to normalcy. And once again, I think you said it perfectly. Like, If you're a fan, uh, you're asking the question probably right now, why should I care that these guys are talking about this return to normalcy and the field access here? Um, But you should care because you're going to start to get the inside stories, the fun stuff, the fun commentary from the players. Players were being interviewed by the media on kind of the the warning track area, the dirt area, right in front of the Brewers' dugout. You can actually uh, interact with people in a human way that you just can't get over Zoom. So the Brewers uh, hopefully have a long postseason run here, and those stories that you're talking about get told. I'm sure they will by this tremendous media base. Uh, The Brewers are currently doing some big running drills right now. Lorenzo Cain is flying around first base, heading towards second. So uh, there's some cool stuff happening here at American Family Field. Does it look like a really loose atmosphere? I mean, you're still a couple days out. I got Baseball in its nature, it's not football where you get ramped up. If you get all amped up for a baseball game, that probably means you're going to lose that baseball game. Uh, but there's also, sometimes there can be this... Um, this quiet focus while still being loose. What would you? How would you evaluate how guys are? I mean, we're still a couple of days out, so if it's totally loose and fun, that that makes sense as well. Yeah, it's super loosey goosey. It's fun that you brought up football uh, as an example there, Matt, because in the outfield right now, a couple of the Brewers pitchers are throwing a football around. That's that's how that's how loosey goosey the environment is, and I think that's a good thing. It speaks to the mindset of this Brewers team as the playoffs are set to begin, right? Because they did only win four of their last 14 regular season games. They were critiqued down the stretch for losing against really good baseball teams and maybe losing some of the swagger and momentum that they accrued by clinching the NL Central so early and clinching a playoff spot even before that. Uh, But the fact that they're still having fun and laughing and joking and throwing the football around in the outfield speaks to the quiet confidence that exists in this team, uh, regardless of how the last two weeks of the regular season went. It has to be so liberating for these players because they they know that these last two weeks haven't mattered, but at the same time, they've heard everything that everybody else has been saying about the, the worry about the impact of a slow finish to the season. But when you get to this point, it's it's liberating in the sense that 
nothing matters from what you did before. Like if you're a Christian Yelich, it's almost like the beginning of the season again. Yelich's numbers at the end of the year weren't very good. He had a couple periods of time where he played some uh, really strong baseball. Uh, we saw that he still had it in him as far as, you know, maybe not the power. We didn't see that a lot during the year, but certainly there were some periods where he was really hitting the ball well, hitting the ball hard, trying to get it down to the gap, getting a few more extra base hits, things like that. But it just wasn't, it wasn't sustained. And every time he comes up to the plate, those numbers are staring at him up there on the board. There, there's something liberating. There's something peaceful. There's something just fantastic about if you haven't had the greatest season, you go to the plate for that first time, and all of a sudden, everything you did over a 162-game season, it doesn't matter anymore. It reminds me of the movie Fever Pitch with Jimmy Fallon. You ever watch that one, Matt, uh, about the Boston Red Sox in 2004 and Jimmy Fallon falls in love with Drew Barrymore? He gets his season tickets, right? At the beginning of the season, Jimmy Fallon does the character in Fever Pitch, and he smells the FedEx envelope, and he goes, a new season, a clean slate. That's what you've got in the NLDS, regardless, like you said, of what you did in the regular season. Everything's kind of zeroed out now, so you can forget about the slumps or the bad stretches or what happened in the last two weeks or Christian Yelich and, and underperforming, and David Stern spoke about that as well. It all goes out the window, and the only thing that matters is getting 27 outs before the other team does and then doing it the next day and the next day and the next day, and hopefully you do that into the early portion uh, of the month of November. Uh, one other observation here, Matt, before we hit a quick break. Um, as the Brewers continue to do base running drills, you are, you know, a smart Brewers mind. Can you explain to me why Daniel Vogelback and Rowdy Telez are doing base running drills? Because that just seems preposterous and ridiculous. <laughs> um, Every, this is this is fun too. Everybody else is they're starting at home plate. So let me walk you through the drill. They're, every player is starting at home plate. There's no bats or balls, but they're taking like a fake swing and then shooting down towards first like they hit a double, you know? And then they just fly around the rest of the bases to home plate. So it almost seems like a warm-up drill, like, hey, let's get the blood going a bit. Um, Every player is doing, you know, the full circuit. They're going first, second, third, home, except for two. Daniel Vogelback and Rodney Telez, who stopped at third and walked from third to home, only presumably because they've got to be exhausted for running that long. That's funny. Uh, they've uh, Telez has a trip. Does he? I think he has one triple this year. Let me look at this real quick. I got to make sure. I think Telez has one or two triples, and then That's the biggest upset uh, of the Brewers season. Okay, there's. Um, yeah, I think he has one. I don't think Vogelback has a triple. No, does he have a triple? Vogelback does not have a triple. That is a. Uh, that is sad. But Rowdy, but Rowdy Telez does have a triple. Yes. So uh, let's uh, Chris Larson. Let's put this up on Twitter at ESPN Milwaukee and poll our Brewers uh, fans, Brew October nightly fans. Do you believe us when we tell you that Rowdy Telez had a triple this year? Because I don't think that's a real thing. That's got to be fake. Like that's got to be a fake stat that Rowdy Telez got a hit and made it all the way to third base without somebody tagging him out. That's mean. He's it's he is mean. more. It's just, it's not mean at all. It's just like like Rowdy Telez is not stepping to the plate at any moment, thinking I'm getting three here. Like that's not that's not that's not the way he plays the game. If I called Rowdy Telez up from the field right now, maybe he can hear me. The windows are open and there's nobody in the ballpark. Um, he would say, "There's no chance I thought I would get a triple this year." But apparently, according to Matt Pauley, he did. So let's put it up on Twitter. Do you believe that Rowdy Telez actually hit a triple in the Lord's year 2021? August 31st in San Francisco against Johnny Cueto. Come on. All right. Well, unbelievable. I've got it. 
I've got. I could even watch the video on demand right now if I wanted to, but that wouldn't help people who are listening, so I won't do that. Uh, by the way, Telez, I think Telez is more like Vogelback is not fleet of foot. Telez is a little bit more fleet of foot than he gets credit for. He plays a really solid defensive first base. Between the two, he obviously has more of a chance of getting that triple. Yeah, All right, I, if you want to I join us, you can uh, do so. Sorry, Matt. I, th- I think there's one more thing. I think there's inertia at play there. You know when like a planet starts moving and can't stop? Like you learned about that in seventh grade science class. That's what happens when Rowdy Telez and Daniel Vogelbach get scooting around first base. It's just hard to stop them because it's hard to stop that much weight from moving. 800-990-3776, 800-990-ESPN. Not only do we know the starting pitchers for the first two games, we also know the umpires for this series as well. And there is one Ooh. name on there that I'm not real excited about. No, it's not Joe West. No, it's not Angel Hernandez, but it's somebody else. It's actually somebody who I like less than those guys. I'll tell you who that is and whether or not uh, we should be worried about his presence in this series. We'll do that next. It's Brew October. Nightly. This is Brew October Nightly, presented by Annex Wealth Management and sponsored by Boucher Automotive, Town Bank, a Wintrust Community Bank, and Delta Dental, Wisconsin's number one dental plan. Management is a proud sponsor of Brew October. It's time to know the difference. If you're ready to put things in order, so are they. Annex Wealth Management provides investment, retirement, tax, and estate planning. As a local independent partner, AnnexWealth.com. Click the Get Started button. My name is Matt Pauley. Brian D. is at American Family Field where Brewers pitchers are throwing the football around and Daniel Vogelback and Rowdy Telez are, hit, are uh, hitting pretend triples. If you want to join us, you can do so. 800-990-3776. That's 800-990-ESPN. So the news of the day, there's a few notes. Uh, Devin Williams has had surgery. He is going to rehab uh, in Arizona at the team complex and he should be, uh, if, if, if they're in the World Series, there's a there's a chance he could maybe play. Uh, Jake Cousins has been deemed good to go. He'll be uh, on the roster. You would think he'll play a pretty big role. Starting pitchers for the first two games have been announced. It's going to be uh, Corbin Burns in game one for the Brewers, and then Brandon Woodruff in game number two. So the pitching matchups in game one on Friday afternoon, uh, Burns against Charlie Morton, and then game two coming up on Saturday, Woodruff against Max Freed. Brian, the other announcement that was made today is the umpiring crew for the NLDS. And we'll go through it. The crew chief is Alfonso Marquez. He's going to start the series uh, being the second base umpire. Mike McClinsky is going to be the first base umpire. Tony Randazzo at third. Then they'll have Will Little in left field and Quinn Wolcott in right field. Brian, I have an issue with the home plate umpire. And okay, he's tell actually... Me your, tell me your issue. because I, okay, I, 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 None of those names necessarily ring a bell for me, but you are around this sport and this team far more than I am over the course of a given season, so I, you're making me nervous already talking about the umpiring you know, three days before the series is set to begin. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to do that to you. <laughs> My least favorite umpire in all of baseball, and that's saying something because there's some bad ones out there, and I'm not a... I'm not an um, I think an umpire uh, doing the job of being an umpire is a really really tough job and most of the ones in Major League Baseball do a really good job especially when it's not balls and strikes uh, but the one guy who I have an issue with more than anybody else is the guy who's going to be behind home plate in game number 1 and that is Mike Estabrook who again okay. my least favorite 
umpire. He has a long history with the Brewers. Uh, he has thrown out Craig Council. Uh, he he just he instigates things. That's the thing about him. He's somebody who really instigates. If you remember a couple years back, there was a two or three day period where. He just first he had an issue with balls and strikes, and he threw Lorenzo. Or I guess he threw Craig Council out for uh, arguing with uh, for a ball strike call on Lorenzo Cain, and then he was at third base in that same series, and that's when Mike Mustakas was part of the Brewers and had a really bad call at third, and they got into it. And it's just there's video out there of him and Council going at it, where he puts his chest into Council, puts his head into Council. He's the guy who likes to instigate things and. There was, a, there was a story that was written in The Athletic this year, and Will Salmon contributed to it. It talked a lot about the, uh, the meetings before home plate or at home plate before the game and just kind of the, the science that goes along with that. And when the Brewers were brought up, it was brought up about Mike Estabrook. There was actually a point where Pat Murphy like went out to home plate one game where Estabrook was going to work and like gave him a hug or something just to, as a bet. I mean, it's just it, it's a long, it's a deep relationship between Estabrook and the Brewers. So it just really worries me that he's the guy that's behind home plate in game number one. So a, a couple of things, not even necessarily about Estabrook, Matt, but just about umpiring uh, in general, and particularly umpiring this time of year. Two immediate thoughts come to mind for me. Number one, anytime I know an umpire's name, something has gone horrifically, horrifically wrong. And it's mm-hmm. not just umpiring. Like any official in any sport – if I know your name, there's a reason I know your name, and it's because you screwed up. Like, no official umpire, referee, nobody ever gets publicity for making such an awesome call in a huge moment. You know what I mean? Oh, that was a terrific call uh, made by Estabrook in the bottom of the eighth. Like, no, of course not. Nobody says that. So that's number one. The other problem I have with what you just talked about with this umpire in particular is ego. It almost seems it's as if, based upon your description, Matt, he wants to insert himself into the story of the game, which is something that absolutely cannot happen at any point, but particularly this time of year. There's too much uh, at stake. There's too many high-leverage situations for an umpire to be inserting himself into the story of a baseball game. Your job is to officiate an umpire. Your job is not to decide the outcome of a game based on balls and strikes. Now, I get it. Like you said, uh, that is a difficult job, especially behind home plate, because by and large, they're all judgment calls, right? And I, I, I quite frankly don't know why we haven't gone um, not all the way to robot umps, but we have the ability to put that electronic box up on the TV, right? And if tennis can get this right with the in-out calls and that technology that they have, I don't understand why baseball can't implement something similar, especially when it comes to uh, painting the corners, right? So uh, if we have the ability to get it right behind home plate, I think we can do a better job. But the umpires cannot be inserting themselves from an ego perspective into a game where these guys have played, especially over the next two nights. Like, I feel bad for the Yankees and Red Sox and Dodgers and Cardinals because they play 162 games, and then their season comes down to three and a half hours. And if an umpire makes a bad call in the wrong moment, seven months of work is gone 
like that. You know what I mean? So, like, it, it, this is the wrong time to have an umpire in the series that has a history of inserting his ego into big moments. Yeah, so a couple things on what you just said. First off, I am in favor of a robotic strike zone if they can get it right. Now, the problem with what you see on TV is that's just a box that's put up on the screen. The box size does not change. You know, the strike zone, it's right as far as the, the plate size, but up and down it's not correct because the strike zone is based upon the, the height and the dimensions of the player who's in the box. So a lot of times, I think many times the box on TV is a dis service to fans because that's not the actual strike zone. However, you can go look the next day on different sites, umpire auditors, Twitter accounts, and they do adjust the strike zone and you can see what's correct, what's not correct. I am amazed that you you mentioned tennis. And tennis has it has it spot on. They've been testing the robot umpire stuff in the minor leagues and the independent leagues and so far the data that's being received is that Human umpires are still more, uh, they have a higher percentage of correct calls than the robots, which to me, like, how is that even possible? How do we have the technology that we have? It, the, the StatCast data, I, remember, I forget what the uh, exact number is, but it's something ridiculous. Like in any ballpark at any given moment, per second, it's like four gigabytes of data that is being acquired in every major league ballpark. We have all this stat cast data. I can tell you if somebody's hit by a pitch, I can tell you the launch angle and how hard it hit that person coming off of them, like the bounce back. And we can't get this right. Like I don't understand that at all. So that, that's the first thing. They got to get this robot umpire stuff correct. Uh, the second thing, just a little bit more on Estabrook and, and his history. I didn't do a good job uh, of going through it. Uh, so when the Mike Moustakis moment was where he had a check swing that he did not go around on and he was called out, Moustakis came back out to play third, started just having a general conversation with Estabrook about that call, and Estabrook threw him out there. Uh, that then, the, uh, then there was the multiple tossings of Braun and Council and Kane. Uh, there was a moment at one point uh, with former Brewers catcher Jason Kendall where Estabrook came from behind home plate and went and started talking down to to Jason Kendall like he was a little two-year-old. Estabrook had a game with the Brewers where he had multiple calls overturned over at first base. This year the Brewers are one and two in games where he is the home plate umpire. Uh, All this data, by the way, was compiled uh, by at Brew Crew Megan on Twitter. She did a great job with all the videos and everything, and I quote tweeted it if anybody wants to see it. But when I say it is a long and deep history between Estabrook and the Brewers, I, I can. There's more than even what I just mentioned. It really goes back a while, and I don't like that. So, how can I butter him up? Can I like find the umpire's office here at American Family Field on the service level and like leave a six pack of beer down there? What's what's the correct way to make sure that this this long history with this particular umpire does not come back to bite the Brewers in a bad moment in the next week and a half? Brian, the, he's already not a great umpire. Do we really want to be <laughs> providing him beer? <laughs> It might loosen him up a bit. It also might impair his judgment. So maybe maybe that's a poor idea. You're probably right. Maybe some chocolates. Can we let's, sure. t- let's take him a box of M and M's or some Reese's some or something. Dots. What's your yeah, favorite you know, ballpark I'm... food, Matt? Super pretzel. A super pretzel, really? Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm a big fan of anything that can be served in one of those plastic batting helmets. Cheesy <laughs> okay. fries, tater tots, ice cream, soft serve ice cream, anything that is served. In the helmet is something I'm good for. 
I got ballpark po- ballpark popcorn. Say that three times real fast. Ballpark for the first popcorn. time. Yes, there you go. I saw. I got that for the first time maybe two weeks ago, and it was as good as movie theater popcorn. Do you mess with the heavenly roasted nuts? No, I don't think I've ever had those in my life. To be those honest with you, those are phenomenal, and that's that's uh, not you know that's not my verbiage. That is what the stand is called. You you walk by the nut stand, and it just smells like just delicious brown sugar. They toss these pecans and the peanuts in this sugar, and they caramelize. I love. I, I changed my answer. The batting helmet is is one B, but I B. love heavenly roasted nuts. That's going to be a drop. I feel like you're judging my super pretzel answer. No, pretzels are phenomenal. It's a great ballpark food. I love that. I'm not judging you one bit. Any ballpark food, uh, you can't find a bad thing out here. Like, there's there's no wrong answer. I'm just asking what you prefer. Shout out to the restaurant to be named later out in left field. They do a big pretzel, this beast pretzel. Sometimes uh, when I'm in the Bally TV booth, they deliver it to, uh, to, to Rock, and Rock will share it with me. I'm just mm-hmm. telling you, the pretzel out there is to die for. It's one of the best you pretzels. Ju- you do the cheese or the whole grain mustard with the pretzel? Uh, back and forth. Okay, I'm a, I'm a whole grain mustard guy, but either like I said, you, you cannot go wrong. I am so psyched for Brewers fans to get out here on Friday afternoon and enjoy all of these delectable treats during Game One of the NLTS. 800-990-3776, 800-990-ESPN. The playoffs begin tonight with the American League Wild Card game. Is it fair? Is it fair that an entire season can come down to one? Game, especially like you know the Dodgers tomorrow. You went over a hundred games, and your season could be done in one game. Is that fair? Craig Council actually talked about that a little bit this morning uh, with Brian on WTMJ. We'll play that for you and give our take on it. That's next. This is Brew October Nightly. Brew October Nightly is back, presented by Annex Wealth Management and sponsored by Boucher Automotive, Town Bank, a Wintrust Community Bank. Delta Dental, Wisconsin's number one dental plan. Ooh, October nightly, we're doing this every night, 6 o'clock to 7 o'clock on some assortment of our stations. We are on uh, 94.5 ESPN and 1017 The Truth tonight. Also sometimes on uh, WTMJ Bucks basketball tonight on WTMJ. Can't believe we're already saying that, but indeed we are. Our focus is on the Brewers and the Major League Baseball playoffs, Brian D. Getting underway tonight, the American League wildcard game, Red Sox and Yankees. Great pitching matchup, Garrett Cole against uh, Nathan Eovaldi. But the, the big thing, and we have this discussion on an every-year basis, you can have a really good year, and that doesn't so much apply to, to the Yankees or the Red Sox, but it does apply to the Dodgers tomorrow in the National League wildcard game. You can have a really, really good year, and your season can be done in one game in a sport in baseball that's based upon 162 games and winning series, and then your season just over in one game. Yeah, and you know, I, I asked Craig Council, the Brewers manager, about this earlier this morning on Wisconsin's Morning News on WTMJ. I asked David Stearns about it as well, and I know we've got the audio to play here, um, but they had similar thoughts on this, Matt, and I think the conventional wisdom from baseball fans is that this is awesome if your team's not playing in it, right? Like, tonight and tomorrow are going to be amazing for us to watch Yankees-Red Sox, unbelievable rivalry, adding a chapter to that historic rivalry with everything on the line. Then tomorrow, Dodgers-Cardinals is going to be tremendous drama. But 
we love it because it's not going to affect us one bit in Milwaukee. Now, two years ago, when the Brewers had to go play the Nationals in the wild card game, it was brutal. We hated it because we knew the Brewers' season, and it did, could come to an end in three and a half hours. Or uh, it could have gone, obviously, the other way if, if Trent Grisham was able to just field the ground ball. Um, so it, it, it's one of those situations where I think your feelings, and this is the case with Craig Council and David Stearns, your feelings on it depend on whether or not you're playing in the game. If you're not playing in it, it's awesome. If you are playing in it, you absolutely hate it. Yeah, this was Craig Council this morning, as you mentioned, Brian, on Wisconsin's Morning News. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think the, the wild card games are – I personally don't like the format for the teams. I, I think it's unfair that we play this many games and then a team like the Dodgers or that has had this long, tough, great season gets thrown out of the playoffs in one game. But it makes for great TV, and that's why it's one game. So I'm gonna. I've got a little bit of a hot take. I'm not a hot take guy, Brian, but I've got. Uh, I've got something that I really do believe in. Like it doesn't. Ooh. There's a lot of people out there. I feel like the general consensus is that this is not fair to the Los Angeles Dodgers that they went and won a hundred plus games and their season could be over in one night when oh, you've got. Yeah, you know, the, it, it's it's about time something went right for the Dodgers, right? You know, like you know, nothing ever goes right for the Los Angeles Dodgers and their three hundred million dollars payroll and getting to the World Series every year and finally getting over the hump and winning it last year. It's about time we cut the Los Angeles Dodgers a break. Don't you think, Matt? Clearly. Clearly. And there's no snark in what you're saying at all. But it does... (laughs) You know what? Honestly, what you're saying I agree with, but I don't think a lot of people do because it seems to me that the, the vast majority of people are upset about the idea that the Dodgers are in a wild card game while the Braves are in a uh, automatically into the NLDS. I'll tell you why it doesn't bother me. I really I think things matter in a 162 game season. The things that you accomplish matter and winning a division is an accomplishment. That's something you're going for. We heard that so much from Craig Council this past week when talking about why they didn't play so well. The goal was to win the division. That is the goal, to win the division. The Dodgers didn't win the division. And we we don't know that would have they won the other divisions if they played in the Central or the East. Yeah, they probably would have. But the schedules are very, very different. It's not an apples-to-apples comparison because you play so many games against your division. The Dodgers' job was to win their division. They did not win the division, and it doesn't matter how many wins you get. What matters is whether or not you're a first-place team in your division, and you're not. And because if they don't like it, they should have won a few more games, and then the Giants could be complaining about that. But I I like it when things matter. And if we're going to sit here and just say, well, winning the division actually doesn't have any substance, we're just going to take the teams with the best records and just insert them in, I think that all of a sudden uh, lessens the importance and lessens the impact of winning your division. I 1,000% agree with you. And not only did the Dodgers not win their division coming off of a World Series championship last year, they lost to a team that nobody expected to win the division, right? Like, at the beginning of the season, we thought it was going to be a two-horse race in the NL West, Matt, between the Dodgers and Fernando Tatis and Manny Machado and the San Diego Padres. And what ends up happening? Out of nowhere... The San Francisco Giants come out and win 107 freaking baseball games, right? So that is the beauty of winning the division is it can come from anywhere. Like, 
I, I, I think in 2018, people had high hopes for the Brewers, but to think that they were going to come out and beat the Cubs to win the division, I, I think if you would have asked me that on opening day in 2018, I would have settled for an appearance in the wild card game, right? And the beauty of baseball is over the course of the, the marathon that it is, these things happen where the Brewers can upset the Cubs in a game 163. Um, and I don't think anybody retrospectively would say that the Brewers weren't a deserving division champion that year. They absolutely were, despite the fact that it came down to a tiebreaker game. I don't think anybody in their right mind this year would say that the San Francisco Giants are not a worthy division champion of the NL West that deserves to get directly into the NLDS. So if you don't want to play in this one-game wild card that baseball has chosen um, you know, to institute, win your freaking division. The other thing I'll say to Matt is we talk so much about everything that baseball does wrong from a fun perspective, right? It's too long. The games are too long. There's not a lot of action. Um, we've got guys like Tony La Russa that stay in the game and just, you know, uh, do dumb things and we peg batters and we poo-poo bat flips and swagger. Like, we do all this stuff, but baseball has created these wild card games to create drama and fun and excitement. So it would feel hypocritical for me to say, well, uh, you know, we need to, you know, allow bat flipping and we need to allow swagger and we need to get guys like Tony LaRusa out of baseball. And then for me to come around and say, oh, I hate the wild card game, wouldn't fall in line with baseball continuing to do fun things. I think this is one of the things they've got tremendously right over the last couple of years since they've instituted this great format. It's incredibly entertaining. It's incredibly fun. I do in some ways think it's unfair to teams. I would go to a best-of-three series, but I would start it. Well, you're trying to give an advantage to the division champions. Well, another advantage you can give, if you're in the wild-card series, I would go to a best-of-three series. I'd start that bad boy on Monday, it's both of them. Yeah. Maybe you go one on Monday and one on Tuesday so you can stagger the start of the DSs like they do now uh, with a Thursday-Friday start between the American League and the, the National National League, but I would start the first one on Monday, and if you happen to have a game 163 in there, well then, if if one of the wild card games can be played the same day as game 163, that's fine. If not, you push stuff back a day. Be really nimble. Work with your television partners to know that you're going to do that because they could still start the DSs on Thursday and Friday this week, having played a three-game series. You don't have you don't have to give teams a day off. These guys have charter planes. Like they can right. they can end their season on Sunday they can get on a plane and they can go play somewhere on Monday just as they would if there would have been a game 163. Yeah, I guess my one problem with that, Matt, would be I think you would get a lot of situations like we saw happen to the Brewers last year um, where you have a team that's clearly deserving, you have a team that's probably not, and that works itself out over the course of a three-game series, right? Like the Brewers... Last year, obviously, they sneak into the playoffs. I think they had a sub-500 record in the truncated 60-game yep. season, if I'm not mistaken. So they they got in based upon the rules of what was allowed last year in a weird, wonky year. But what happened over the course of the three-game series? Did the Brewers, would they have lost the one game? Probably. Would they have lost the three? Absolutely. So I think likely that would be what you see happening more uh, more often than not in a three-game wild card sequence is you would get 
a Dodgers versus Cardinals where the Dodgers are 16 games better than the Cardinals. And uh, who knows what's going to happen tonight, but I think over the course of a three-game series, and maybe this is the reason to do it because it would be, quote-unquote, more fair, uh, you would see the better teams ultimately advance into the postseason. When we return, who in manager Craig Council's family gives him the most grief when it comes to how his team is playing, we'll let you know. And uh, we'll also do today's edition of the walk-off as we'll look around Major League Baseball and try to figure out what other teams maybe you should be rooting for in the playoffs other than the Brewers. We'll do that next. This is Brew October Nightly. Now more of Brew October Nightly, presented by NX Wealth Management and sponsored by Boucher Automotive, Town Bank, a Wintrust Community Bank, at Delta Dental, Wisconsin's number one dental plan. Brian Dee is at American Family Field. My name is Matt Pauley as we start to wrap up this edition of Brew October Nightly. Brian, you mentioned uh, your conversation with Craig Council this morning on Wisconsin's Morning News. Yeah, the, as the Brewers... I hate using the word struggled because it wasn't really the Brewers. It was just a bunch of guys going out there and getting their work in. Uh, But as the team did not play and did not get the wins that fans would have liked, there was a lot of criticism towards what was going on from the fans. It was interesting. uh, You asked uh, Craig Council this morning about uh, in his family whether or not there's any criticism and and if anybody's uh, really getting into him about the way the team plays. And for him, there is one member of his family specifically that does do that at least a little bit they, they do my daughter uh, my, my daughter say she, um definitely my daughter i will say she it's the best way to say it was she kind of got in my face after the cardinal series um uh, and when we were uh, at home here and and told me kind of let's go uh so get it together dad <laughs> oh, that kind of stuff <laughs> Yeah, yeah, get it together, Dad. So um, she did. She did. She's the fiery one. Uh, she's she's got like the little coach in her for sure. So um, <laughs> she's the one leading the charge with suggestions. That is fantastic. Can you? I, I would love to just see what his reaction is in that moment because you know. For him, we heard, we talked yesterday on the program about you know that frustration coming out a little bit in his uh, final media conference of the year when so many people were asking those questions. You finally get home, you finally are kind of in a safe place, and it's your daughter who's coming at you a little bit. Yeah, it, it, it's got to make him laugh. It's got to make him smile, right? And I, I think from my perspective, it made me laugh because you can paint the picture of what that interaction was probably like for Craig in your own head. And, you know, having spoken with him once a week on our show throughout the season, I'm so grateful that he takes us into those little personal moments because, Matt, he is contractually obligated to speak with us once a week on WTMJ, but he's not contractually obligated to give us anything, right? And the fact that Craig understands that uh, the fans appreciate those little glimpses into his life and understands what this team means to this community because he's from this community um, is awesome. And, you know, I think that little anecdote, as goofy and silly as it is, shows how much he cares and his family cares about what's at stake for this city over the next month here, right? Like, they understand that the Brewers have not been to a World Series since 1982. They understand that the regular season has put them in position uh, to do that for the first time uh, in quite some time. And they understand what it would mean to everybody in this city and really this state. So uh, I think... 
maybe even the little cracking from his daughter is is like the the pressure showing of like look we've got something cool at stake here we've got an opportunity to do something fun for our home let's make sure we're doing it um and I, that it gives me comfort as a brewers fan knowing that regardless of what craig council does over the next month from a decision making perspective we don't have to critique him on it because his daughter will do that for us I feel like people take for granted the fact that the Brewers are managed by a guy who grew up here and loves the team and who had a deep connection to the team and his father worked for the team and he played for the team. That just doesn't happen. When, when, When people in other markets are talking about him, that's something that's always brought up. It just, it doesn't happen. So you talk about somebody having a passion for the team, and he talks so much about the responsibility that he has to the sport of baseball inside of the Wisconsin, inside of the state of Wisconsin. He takes that incredibly seriously. That is not just lip service. And then I think that permeates down through his family, where his daughter can give him the business a little bit about uh, how the team played against the Cardinals. Yeah, it's a great point you make, Matt. Not only does it not happen in professional sports very frequently, but when it does, a lot of times that manager is there for PR reasons, uh, I think is, is a nice way to say it. Like, oh, our team's not that good. Let's hire a local guy to get butts in the seats and create some positive momentum for the organization, right? And Craig Council is arguably the best manager in Major League Baseball. So this isn't like, oh, let's put a Milwaukee guy in here just to hopefully turn things around. And then when he gets it in the right position and people feel good about the ball club, we'll hire a superstar. No, this is a superstar that's in your backyard. This is like LeBron James going to the Cleveland Cavaliers. That's the comparison. It's a hometown guy. Um you know, bringing a golden era of baseball to his hometown team. It's an amazing thing that we all need to take a moment to stop and appreciate. All right, just a couple minutes left in the program. We will get to uh, today's edition of the walk-off. We have a little bit of fun here at the end of every program as we uh, discuss something a little bit outside the box. And obviously most people, if not every single person who is listening to this program, very much rooting for the Brewers. But when you look at the entire playoff field, Brian, I think there's a lot of reasons to dislike teams. You can talk, we talked a little bit about the Dodgers and Cardinals, and people generally tend to dislike the Yankees and Red Sox uh, almost no matter matter what the Astros are a very much dislike team but let's go positive let's go against the grain of what our culture instills in us let's actually talk about the good stuff who is the most likable team in the playoffs who's the team to root for who's the team to like if you are uh, looking for a second team other than the Brewers well, obviously, the, the, the layup answer is the Brewers. They're super likable because of the guys they have in the clubhouse, and that's that's answer 1A. But other teams that you should be rooting for, it's a simple answer for me. It's the Tampa Bay Rays. What a fun team the Tampa Bay Rays have. They advanced kind of Cinderella-wise all the way to the World Series last year and ended up losing, but I kind of fell in love with the Rays last year. They've got some former Brewers and G-Man Choi and Brett Phillips, who's an absolute character. Randy Rosarena is a really fun player. Like, I'm pulling for the Rays in the American League to get all the way. I would love a Brewers-Rays World Series. I think that'd be fantastic. Now, my other answer, Matt, kind of selfishly, even though I hate the team, is the Chicago White Sox. And I know I just ripped uh, Tony La Russa like no less than seven minutes ago. Um, 
But they do play a fun brand of baseball. Tim Anderson's a really exciting young player. And selfishly, I think a Milwaukee-Chicago World Series for everybody in our state would be really cool because we could travel back and forth. There's that natural rivalry going on. Those are my two answers in terms of the Rays and the White Sox in the American League as likable teams. I would go Rays. I think the San Francisco Giants are a likable team. They are. Uh, you, you've got Buster Posey. You got a bunch of old guys there. You got you know. You, there's nobody who's really on, even Chris Bryant. Now that he's not a Cub, you, you don't really hate him as much. So I would go with the San Francisco Giants. I think they're a likable bunch as well. I'm with you, buddy. Yeah, hopefully, uh, hopefully the Brewers don't uh, run into them though, because obviously that could be a tough series. But who knows? The Brewers could still get it done. I would rather them actually play the Giants. I think they've got a better chance against the Giants than they do Dodgers or Cardinals, so I am rooting for that uh, in LCS. But sometimes it's not what you uh, can backfire on you a little bit. All right, that's going to do it for this edition of Brew October Nightly. We will be back with you again coming up tomorrow night for another edition of the program. For Brian D., I'm Matt Pauley, and we'll talk to you again tomorrow for Brew October Nightly.